What's going on, secondhand talent family? It's your boy Steiner here, as always, and I cannot wait to welcome you to part three of our installment with Justin Hampton. And I know uh, at the end of the last uh, at the end of the last segment, we said we were going to talk about 2004, 2005. But uh, Justin, thank you again so much for being here, and I thought you wanted to kick it a little bit further back than that. Absolutely. Great to be here again. That's one of the coolest and most fun thing about the book was I didn't just want it to be an art book. I wanted it to be somewhat autobiography as well. Telling stories, showing sketches, you know, really getting a behind the scenes look. And as part of that, I really I take I dedicated an entire chapter to post-neo-explosionism or PNE with Jermaine Rogers and Emmick and I. And uh there you go. Represent. I like it. <laughs> That was from 05, a show in L.A. with Scion. But uh, the beginning of that uh, relationship, with, of course, was, you know, talking to Jermaine a lot because he had been in Seattle at one point and I'd seen his stuff around. And, of course, he had seen mine. And uh, through gigposters.com, the original version, um, mm-hmm. we, we began talking a lot on, on gigposters. And then we moved to email and started phone calls, you know, we both had a very similar aesthetic as far as always wanting to push boundaries and do more. Sure. Gig, gig posters had opened up this whole world, you know, so it was uh, the possibilities just seemed endless. So we started talking about having a, a show together and then this thing just grew and grew and grew. It became this like what turned out to be a massive event, which was so cool. So uh, we initially were like, you know, a two-man show is cool, but a three-man show would be pretty awesome, mm. you know. And I had a, exactly, hmm, mm. who could this be? The gears could are turning. Be? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we ran a few names back and forth, and there's a very short list because at the time there just wasn't that many sure. poster artists. There's so many more now, right? partially due to gigposters.com and that whole moment that everything just kind of exploded. It was unveiling a lot of people that we didn't know about that already existed. And then a lot of people seeing it and going, wow, I don't want to do that, you know, and uh, all this new amazing talent, but, but back to the story. So basically we, we decided, you know, well, there's gotta be something of this dude who goes by one name. He's like Madonna or something, you know, listen, Emmett, where's this guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sting. So, yeah. um, so I had I'd talked to Emmett previously in the late nineties. I'd reached out to him and I'd come to LA before and wanted to just you know connect and meet the dude. And we were gonna get together, but he was having girlfriend trouble at the time. Dad couldn't make the date to hang out. And uh, but that I had a for the work. best of us. Oh yeah, God knows how many times, but um. <laughs> So, so I had his number still, and I was like, well, let's just give the dude a call and see what he says. And uh, we reached out, and he's wor- he was working at La Maggiore Gallery, which is one of the other big uh, poster galleries that were around the country. So he was selling his stuff and working there. And uh, he, I think he was, he kind of let us know that he was somewhat disillusioned with his trajectory, and he was looking for some something new himself and so we were like well let's have a show you know i got a space in seattle it's a big venue called the showbox historic venue billy holiday played there back in the 40s i mean this was like a really well-known 
venue. And uh, I'd agree right and I'd there. Done, done posters for uh, for them for quite a few years since the mid '90s. So I knew the uh, the booker, and I had pitched the idea of having my own show, and he was totally into it. They had like a downstairs kind of like a lounge area that was used as a gallery, and then uh, so MX said he was on board, and we were stoked. And then this thing just got bigger and bigger. I talked to uh, to the two of them. I was like, well, the downstairs, you know, it was a decent little lounger. You know, it'd be great for a solo show. But at that, even at that point in 2002, we could have all filled that room up three times over. Easy. Mm. So we were like, we have so much work. I, I talked to uh, Chad at the, at the show box. And it was like, what do you think about the idea of bringing the show upstairs into the main room? But still having a show downstairs, so we literally take up every square foot of the like the room. whole area, the whole thing, the downstairs lounge, the separate lounge bar, wow. the walk up to the main room, the entire main room. But we'll need some lights, and we'll need some. And he was like, "Let's do it." And she was like, "How about I get some bands to play?" And we make a thing out of it. And it just kept snowballing. And, That's awesome. And so Jermaine was like, I think I might be able to get somebody. And I was like, well, I'm going to try too. And so he got Doug Marsh from Bill Spill. Um, the Showbox got Dave Mercer from The Shins. Um, I tr- tried to get Queens of the Stone Age. They were already booked because I had just started to have a relationship with them. I just did a, I just did a show poster for them in 02. Wow. For the first leg of the Queen of the Songs for the Deaf tour with Dave Grohl, and then I did another one for their European tour late that year of '02. And this is, you know, so we were. I was like, you know, I, I reached out, and the manager was like, if, "Dude, if we didn't already have something booked, we'd totally be down." So I was like, "Damn, okay, oh well." Wow. Okay, let's, so, so my brother's band was uh, playing a lot at that point. The Fakes, and they were a great local band, and. uh of course, he was stoked because, you know, the venue itself was a big deal to get to play that sure. venue, you know. So, uh, and then another local band, Ultimate, and uh, Fits of Depression, which were a punk band from, I think, it was either Olympia or Tacoma. Um, and they had played a lot back in the day with, like, you know, Nirvana, those, that kind of band. They weren't on that kind of national level, but they were known, you know. Sure. And uh, so suddenly it was like we had too many bands for a night. So it was like, well, let's make it two nights. Yeah. Like, we'll do it live. Right. We'll have the big names on the one night. And we'll have the local show on the, the second night or vice versa. I think it was the other way around. Anyway, so um, wild. So we, we took out an ad and juxtapose. We sent out press releases. All of the major news outlets in Seattle covered it. And it was a crazy event. It was just a complete sellout packed house we made just tons of dough the shows were killer and uh you know we got to sit just right to the left of the stage with uh right to the left is that a thing yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, of doug marshall watching from you know the side of the stage wow it was just so amazing that's incredible family and everyone come it was uh so that was the beginning and it was just the the name post neo explosionism was just the show title that was, we had no. That was just kind of ca- on the card. It wasn't really yeah. even like much forethought put into it. No, 
after it was all said and done, the smoke cleared. We had this just insanely successful show mm-hmm. and so many eyeballs. And so we were like, holy crap, this is, we can make this something. This is like special, you know? And we all were just, we kind of took that weekend and uh, we all went to the coast with our, you know, respective girlfriends at the time and mm-hmm. hung out. And I don't think, I don't think Emic was able to make that, but it was me and Jermaine and our friends at the time and we were really like wow it really lit a fire of like we can, this is something we can do something with you know wow and so we talked about it and i was like well i mean i could reach out to queens and see if we could do an entire tour for them and jermaine was like i've been literally trying to pitch that idea for years with different bands i've just never had the opportunity you know but yeah that's something i've always wanted to do it's a lot of work but it's what an opportunity so i was like i'll pitch it Crazy. So I reached out to the management and they were like, whoa, that's pretty ambitious. That's pretty bitching. And at that point, there had only been one other band that had something like that. It was Pearl Jam. Mm. And the Ames brothers had been doing their posters since the 90s, but they were doing select share. They weren't doing every single date. So it right. was uh, this was like almost like biting off more than you can chew because it was a huge deal. But the difference was we had the three of us and we'd all gotten to the point where we could work relatively fast. And so we pitched the idea and I told management and management, they were like, I'll talk to Josh. This sounds bitching. And uh, they got back to me and they're like, he likes the idea. It's it's really cool, but he'd like to do a little beta test. They're having a, a tour in Japan. There's four dates. We'll have you guys and we'll have Alan Forbes do one and uh, we'll see how it goes. And I was like, hell yeah. So we did the thing. They sold out every night. They came back from tour and the management reached out and said, we want you to do the entire spring. Wow. Just like, wow. Indeed. Wow. Okay. So (laughs) I just have to ask now I've, I've, I've been listening here, just sitting here enthralled. Um, And I, I really hope that everybody watching and listening has been as well, because I mean, just the 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 layers in what you went through but but just honing in because you know i you know shout out emic and shout out jermaine you know two artists that i'm also a huge fan of uh a huge fan of and um you know to be hanging out with jermaine and to kind of be able to kind of put out there reach out to queens in the stone age and you know, like josh hum and that like to me like i mean and i know and i've met some 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 musical heroes of mine and i know that they're just people but like at at the end of the day but still to hear that i mean how how did it feel kind of going from that moment of kind of putting that out there into the world and vocalizing that and then to the genesis of like oh now they want to do this like what was that was that like a real like like coup de gras for you you know spiritually i mean it, it really was i mean it was uh I mean, you get to, you know, the certain point in your career and you feel like, you know, I can do more. I can take on more responsibility. I can mm-hmm. handle the pressure. I prove myself time and time again to venues, sure. to smaller bands. But yeah, when you get to that moment and keep in mind at that point, I mean, Songs for the Deaf was one of the biggest albums in the freaking world. I, you know I own mean? three copies on that CD. I burned it out. So I it was that album. It was not lost on any of us, you know, so I had just, like I had said in the previous episodes, I've never lacked motivation. I've never lacked 
drive. I've never liked the motivation outpaced the talent, I believe is how you put it. Exactly. Like, like yeah. say, Hey, what do you think of this idea? You know? And then when they said yes, it was like, Oh shit. <laughs> okay. Like, Oh my God. They, but they said yes though. Oh. They said yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also like, you know, it's interesting to look back on because now, it's such a commonplace thing. Everyone has a tour series, you know, but at this point, you got to literally think no one had a tour series, not one band, only Pearl Jam and only a handful of dates, select wow. dates, not every single night, you know, so it was a thing and it was crazy how fast it took off because we, I was the person in charge because I was the contact with the band. So I got like the tour book where I had all the dates, all the logistics of, who to reach out to management, hotel numbers, addresses, all this stuff. And I just had to, you know, make the magic happen and make sure that everything was there on time. And, um, and so we sat down and divvied up the dates and we gave each other enough time that the rotation would constantly give us more time to design. So it was like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, throughout the whole mm-hmm. tour. And then, um, and then it just started happening. And then, uh, wow. And everything went with without a hitch. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say without a hitch. There's always stressful moments, but sure. you were just like, oh shit, am I going to have to fly this there? And being prepared to totally do that, you know? I'm just going to get it right. Away. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, like, I'm going to yeah. do it. I'm just like, but I have <laughs> yeah. to do it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. So, um, and then I started hearing back, like, the word is spreading and people are starting to line up at the merch booths because the word is out. And the band is like showing up at soundcheck to go look and like it's Christmas every day, you know, to see what's coming. Cause they, they just trusted us. They just gave us no theme whatsoever. We love what you do, do it. And we were just like, I mean, what a dream, you know? I mean, to be, given, to be yeah. given such an artistic license by yeah. such an artistic force yeah. that, that is Queens of the Stone Age. That is Josh Homan. You know, you were referencing how, Earlier in the conversation, how post neo explosionism was kind of the name of the show, but you know, um, and I think we may have discussed this in a separate conversation as well. But I've been, I think a lot about the name post neo explosionism, and um, right. you'd mentioned me once. Uh, you, you, I mean, if you want to bring it up, the gen is like kind of like sure. how you had thought it, that it was, uh, yeah. Well, we were <clears throat> we were on a conference call and we we're riffing because we were like, we got to come up with something clever, we got to come up with something different, and. We just started cracking each other up and throwing crazy names around, you know. And uh, one of the things that we had always said was, you know, it would be cool to create something that's kind of like what happened in Paris in the late 1800s with, you know, Impressionism. And so, uh, and so somehow one of us ended up saying, we'll call ourselves Explosionism. And they were like, that's funny, you know. And then we'll, no, we'll call it post-explosionism because it's it's already happened. And there actually was an explosionist movement, by the way, that happened right. in like Eastern Bloc. I want to say it was like Poland or Czechoslovakia in the 50s. And it was a guy who was doing street art, which basically, when you look at the origin of posters, is street art originally. Mm-hmm. You know, it became show art and gallery art, but it was street art. Sure. And this guy would make drawings out of cracks in the walls. It was like a lot of protest art for anti-communism and all this. So it, it worked. And they were like, okay, post-explosionism works. 
But how about post-neo-explosionism, which is something ridiculous because something can't be post and neo at the same time. Post is after, neo is new. It can't be the same. We're like, that's ridiculous. We love it. Post-neo-explosionism. PNE for short. And, and we laughed. I, and we were like, that's awesome. <laughs> and I, I just like, I mean, you know, and one of the things that I love about being someone who works with words, right, is that words mean something different down the road. Um, right. You know, you put a cap, you put a name on something one day or you, uh, you write a television show, you write a show like The Simpsons, right? And then you have people like me who then write a thesis based on The Simpsons. Um, and, you know, words take on added significance as they carry through time. And I, I, I love the name post-neo-explosionism so much because you know, you're talking about here now beginning with this kind of Queens of the Stone Age project and talk about where it evolved to in just a moment. But Queens of the Stone Age is just, you know, when something is post and something is neo, right? When something is old and new, they coincide and there's an explosion. And um, I think a lot of the bands, starting with Queens of the Stone Age, kind of represent that kind of cultural hammer that does create that that sort of effect. Um, and it, it it's really cool to be having this conversation now, 20 years after the fact, and then... Right. You know, this year, I, yeah, it's crazy. And well, last year, basically, but yeah, the, and, the you album know, last year, the series this year, twenty years ago, yeah. And it's uh, it's incredible that you know we can you know have this dialogue and say, and here's the meaning that I've taken from this thing that was a happenstance creation, you know, this many right. years ago, and uh, it's it's just cool to be able to see a gener- <laughs> you know, generation to generation on a screen. Yeah, it's and, uh, it's really wild. It's twenty years ago now. It feels like. I'm not going to say yesterday, but it's weird that it's 20 years. It's, it doesn't... So thinking about, um, you know, after the Queens of the Stone Age project, you know, which was clearly a resounding success. What are what are some of the other projects that that PNE tackled that that you think would be uh, noteworthy to relate? Cool. Well, after we did the multiple Queens tours, one for Audio Slave, Built to Spill, then we were. We started thinking, what can we do that's just us, you know? Sure. That's uh, without a band attached to us, but still music related. And we floated around a couple of quick ideas, but we came to to the Twenty Seven Club pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And of course, Twenty Seven Club is the famous folks that all died at age twenty seven from the sixties on. Um, real tragic, you know, early lives cut short you know um and it just seemed like such a there's so much mythos around that there's so much uh, you know conspiracy theories and all the rest it's just such a strange phenomenon that we were like you know that would be really cool so we uh basically sat down and was like okay well obviously it's all the key players you know brian jones rolling stones uh Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin. Joplin. And we were like, uh, yeah, so let's just start. How are we going to do this? And we kind of like decided on who we'd prefer. And we had a little, you know, back and forth on who got what. And uh, it's fairly diplomatic and democratic. And uh, I got Hendrix. And we were like, Hendrix was so strong that we were like, why don't we just start with that? And then stagger the images out from there. 
Mm. So I, I did Hendrix, and then it just kind of unfolded from there. And then, uh, and then I decided design the border treatment, and I did all the color separations. And this was all with every step of the way being shown to the guys, so they could chime in if they had suggestions for colors or design, sure. or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, once finished, it was uh, so well received that people still fond over that image to this day. And I think truly, and we both all kind of said this is uh, all three of us have said, you know, it's probably one of our best prints that we ever did as P and E and individually from each one of us. Which is quite a statement. I mean yeah. for for P and E and for the three of you individually. I in my personal opinion as a fan, like I think that that's and and you know 27 Club is a print that I'm profoundly familiar with. And I really loved, you know, how you guys revisited it recently um, yeah. to include um, pig pen and Amy Winehouse. Yep. Um, I thought that was really incredibly special because right. you know, people, you know, I like to say it's like the, the kind of the theme, the ethos of secondhand talent is, you know, everybody knows who buddy guy is, but nobody knows who's running lights for him on his final world tour. <laughs> and um you know and I, that's my buddy stan and that's one of the reasons we started secondhand town is because as right. much as people know who buddy guy is we think people right. deserve to know who stan is too and everybody knows who Jimi hendrix is people deserve to know who pig pen is too you know right and well um, that's one of the funny stories there is one of the roadies for uh Jimi hendrix back in the day was let me kill mr from motorhead so you know oh, wow. these, things, these things happen yeah yeah pretty wild huh? yeah 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 that's definitely <laughs> definitely wild is 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 a word that yeah, we can that sure. we can attach to this for sure uh, and i know there i know there was one other one other story you wanted to bring up about a, a certain, certain yeah so the next one was really kind of uh just funny in a way that like uh i had gotten an email from uh from someone in my inbox this is 2000 2009 later in the year and uh it was kind of i didn't believe that this was who it was i literally was like it said hey this is todd phillips i just <laughs> finished the hangover and it has become the number one rated r movie of all time and i'd love to have you do a commemorative poster of it and I just kind of sat with that email for a minute. I was like, I hadn't seen the movie yet, but I heard and I knew his previous stuff. <laughs> and I just wrote back, <clears throat> okay, first of all, if this is really Todd Phillips, <laughs> sure, but how am I going to know this is really Todd Phillips? And he wrote back, ha, 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 this is really Todd Phillips. <laughs> goes, that's actually, that's really awesome. And it made me laugh for a while. Ah. But no, I'm really, I'm really interested. <laughs> and he said, uh, I've reached out to Emic as well, and you know, wow, what do you think? And I was like, well, I mean, number one, yes, and number two, <laughs> we might as well get Jermaine in here and make this a PNE thing. <laughs> there you and go. He didn't even know what PNE was. He was like, "What's PNE?" He was like, "I love your work. I love Emic work. Show me Jermaine and let's talk." And I did, and he was like, "Oh yeah, this is awesome. How weird yeah. so it's that this I nailed two of you guys, and we just need the third. Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it." So we were like, yeah. whoa, picture. So that was fun. That was, he just said, like, I want you to, you guys to approach this as, and he goes, especially you, 
<laughs> just make something that's so like wrong it shouldn't exist. And I was like, I like it. I'm into it. Let's do it. <laughs> so I did my poster of Carlos the baby. The and, Carlos uh, the baby. We'll pop that on the screen for everybody <laughs> to see. So Carlos in the, the baby seat, snuggling with a, a Heineken that says hangover in the same font. And uh, not oh, saying man. He the Heineken, but it wound up in a snuggling drink. You know, not drinking, <laughs> but snuggling with it asleep. And the shadow of the tiny uh, the rooster behind, and the blow up doll, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a classic. It's, it's a classic. Of, that's for sure. Carlos <laughs> dreams of his mom's boobs, of course. After Graham, which not as a baby, gotta have <laughs> dreams. Gotta have dreams. <laughs> so that was really fun. So I delivered them to him in, in person in Malibu. His uh, wow, suite. I was in town doing some other work, and I just made it a, a double trip. And brought him all three of our posters, and he was just floored. He, he was so stoked. And we did a a fourth poster. I did a fourth poster of his character, Mister Creepy, that had appeared in every one of his movies up until then. Right, with the mustache and the glasses. Right, 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 right. I'm here for the gang, the the, the uh, gang bang. You know that game. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and he got it, and he was like, "You really didn't have to do this, but I'm so glad you did." <laughs> I love this poster. He <laughs> was funny. He was cool. So I got a photo with him, and that's in the book. And uh, he was just a great guy. So that was, that's that was awesome. a project. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, well, we are uh, out of time here for this week's episode. Uh, Justin Hampton, thank you again, and I am uh, so excited for next week to close out our four-part spectacular. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, we'll see y'all next time. From Secondhand Talent, this is Steiner. Yeah. Yeah.